Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Uh, given an amazing book, it's called Member of the Family, and it's by Diane Lake. Now, um, and Deborah Herman as a as a co-writer, and. Um, this this was unique because we do a lot of talk about uh, Charles Manson and the Manson family, and and Diane was part of it. And at age fourteen, um, she became one of Charles Manson girls. And uh, now she's written a book and uh, telling us all about what it was like from the inside. So uh, we're welcoming to the show Diane Lake. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Let's talk a little bit about your your early life. Now, uh, you grew up in uh, what Minneapolis, I believe. Yes. Let's talk about your your relationship with your parents. Now, um, now in the '60s, it seemed like the tune in, turn on, and drop out thing was kind of going on, and your your parents decided to do that. That's correct. How did that make you feel? I mean, were you good with it, or? Well, it seemed like that the way the world was going. This was, you know, uh, like cutting edge or, you know, the new, this was the new uh, way of thinking, of bringing peace. You know, the Vietnam War was not over and, you know, there was a lot of protests and people just were tired of, you know, society the way it was. And so... I think that the counterculture movement was, you know, encouraged by Allen Ginsberg, you know, Timothy Leary, Aldous Huxley, and my dad was really into reading 
all those people and listening to them. So he, even before we got to California, he wanted to go to California because of them. He wanted to be, you know, Jack Kerouac. He wanted to be, you know, go to Berkeley and be part of that scene. He wanted to get his master's degree in art and teach art. Right. I, now, now the culture back then too, for the for the young listeners that don't know, it's similar in a way of today that um, there was a lot of distrust for the government and for the cops and all that. Um, you know, like you know, everybody was kind of separated in that way. Um, so I guess that would have been part of your feeling as well, right? Uh, and to be a, away from that sort of mainstream policing and uh, government. Right. Now, and I loved school, but, you know, um, my education in Minnesota was a lot better than when I, even back then when I moved to California, my parents, you know, were kind of disillusioned. So that, you know, kind of added added to it, and then you start taking LSD and smoking marijuana and listening uh, to Timothy Leary talk about, you know, LSD was wonderful, everybody should take it, you know, and so he got involved with that, and that led to us getting involved with the Oracle, which was an underground newspaper in Los Angeles that was an offshoot of the San Francisco Oracle, and because he wanted to do art for them, and he did uh, do art for them. And that led us to, you know, basically joining that community, and then when they lost their uh, house that they were living in, they moved into ours <laughs> in Santa Monica. <laughs> and then that led to, you know, a couple of the guys, uh, buying these uh, bakery bread trucks and converting them into campers. And, you know, we were going to go down the road and be a commune, but then it ended up just my family. Yes, um, commune living. Right. So that's what I, you know, and how long we were going to do that, but we, we basically left the summer that I would have, or the, in September when I would have been in ninth grade. And I was the oldest of three. So you guys were just kind of traveling around um, house to house or just free as the wind kind of thing? Is that kind of how it went? Yeah, we, we, we were staying at the beaches, you know, the public, the, pub, the parking lots in the public beaches, you know, on the California coast. Wow. Now, quite honestly, uh, honestly, how did that feel for you? It was tight. Five people living in a like a step-up van. <laughs> it was a little tight. A little tight, but, even though a lot of your living took place outside. Um, really, it, and I just wanted to help my mom. You know, I wanted it, my mom and dad were arguing not bad arguments, but, you know, like philosophical kind of arguing about, you know, what the man's role was, what the woman's role was, you know, in this new age, basically. 
And, you know, I just wanted to help my mom. I was making pancakes one morning, and, you know, she criticized me for not flipping them over, you know, at mm. the right time. So I just, you know, I've had it, and I walked off and, you know, found a little boy that needed pushing on the swing. And I did that, and I met his parents, and they were hippies, and introduced him to my parents. And then, you know, we drove the bread truck over to the house that he was, you know, that they were staying at and, you know, joined up forces and lived with them for a while. And that's where I felt I heard the voice of God on an acid trip say it was time for me to leave home. So mm. I talked to my parents about it. They wrote me a note and I moved in, you know, basically with that couple and my parents, you know, went went on. Wow. Um, we I joined up again and, you know, I went to Big Sur with them. And then I met a guy and went to San Francisco with him because I had this note in my pocket, you know, basically giving me, making me an emancipated minor, although it wasn't legal. <laughs> you know, it served it, it me. And what 13-year-old doesn't feel like an adult, you know? Oh, my, my, my God. Let me speak to that. You know, I've got a 15-year-old daughter, and she oh knows everything. <laughs> I hope she goes to Congress and solves all the world's problems <laughs> while she still knows everything. So, right? But, right. I mean, but, but, I mean, the, the beginning of your story, I mean, almost sounds like a vacation that most kids would love, would love oh, to friends, have. My friends thought, I, you know, that I died and gone to heaven. I mean, they, they couldn't believe it. Wow, your parents are doing what? <laughs> You don't, you're not going to have to go to school anymore? <laughs> yes. Uh, until you start meeting these people and your parents turn you over to these people. I mean, that, uh, holy crap. You know, and I'm censoring myself, Diane. Uh, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, what yeah. Yeah, maybe, What maybe, happened there? Yeah, maybe talk about that. The uh, So uh, when you uh, first kind of uh, met... Charlie and the group, and kind of how how you kind of got um, involved with them. Oh gosh, um, I, I actually met him through another couple. Uh, my parents had landed in the hot farm commune when I was in San Francisco, and then I showed up and. I didn't know it, but they had already, Black Bus Charlie, as he was then known, had made a couple of trips up to the hog farm. And he wasn't really welcome there after a few, you know, antics happened. But my mom had ultimately given him my photo and said she's in San Francisco. If, you're, if you go to San Francisco, you know, look for her, right? And the girls were from the Midwest. You know, a couple of the girls from the Midwest, and my mom just thought they were they were great. And at that point, they were just another commune with, you know, a charismatic leader, Charlie. So anyway, this had transpired, and then when I went to the hot farm, I was considered jail bait. My I don't think my parents knew about mm. that conversation. You know, with the head guy. Well, well you but, were. <laughs> I was Yobate, and I, you know, the counterculture really was not the place, and they did not take into consideration 
the bigger picture of what do you do with a sexually active underage girl. And they're, you know, Timothy Leary, I mean, they're the Oracle, they're all about, you know, sex is good. You know, it's, it, there was no age. You know, it was like, there was, there might have been, you know, too young, but 14 was not too young to not have sex. I mean, and, and you know, as I'm sure that, you know, you experienced with your daughter, the hormones are starting to, you know, get woken up. And so there really wasn't a place for a sexually active underage girl. And my parents were just a little bit older. Most of the hippies either in the commune were either young but of age or they just had little kids. There, there, there weren't any other kids my age. I didn't have peers. Yeah. So I didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel welcome at the hog farm. And so when I, I went to live with this other couple, and they introduced me to Charlie, and when I walked in the door, they already knew me. And I didn't know that my, I didn't know this story about my mom giving, you know, him my picture, you know, a month before. So, yeah, she didn't, anyway. So I walk in the door, the girls run up to me, Charlie, Charlie, Diane is here. It's like, what? How do you know me? So then, you know, so then I, I got the story that my mom had given them my picture. But nonetheless, I was, you know, and they immediately, I immediately felt loved and adored. I didn't join them immediately, but two weeks later they were getting ready. They were going to go to, uh, on a road trip to New Mexico, and I felt loved and adored by them. And I, I loved the girls, and I loved Charlie, and he made me feel like, really special. And so that's how I ended up becoming a member of the Manson family. When you were 14 and you were with Charlie and you guys got pulled over and uh, when they found out you were 14, the cops took you. And, uh, and just about that, so I mean your parents came and got you out of court but then they just let you go with Charlie again. Right. So. Uh, they they knew who you were with in a way, or they thought it was okay. Right. Well, he didn't seem any different than, you know, Hugh Romney or, you know, any of these other you know pseudo gurus yeah. that were you know leading these different communes. They were just mm. these charismatic, you know, leaders and actually, you know, so. He just became this diabolical, you know, person. I don't think murder was on his agenda, you know, even that first year. Right. Yeah. It just so, could you mention turned that? into it. Yeah, you mentioned about how um, it was all kind of uh, love. You know, you would you guys would sit around and take uh, acid and uh, sing songs, and, and it was all about loving each other. When when did you see that change, or when did you feel that that was becoming different? 
Uh, about a year and, you know, a month or two in, uh, and we'd already been going to the desert, and he all, you know, he had left me in the desert with another couple to kind of, you know, hold down the fort, you know, so other people, miners or whatever, wouldn't move in, fix it up. I mean, I, I put white stones, I gathered stones and old wagon wheels and bottles and you know, I was making, I was decorating the outside. And, um, but I felt that was the first time that I had really been kind of separated from the inner circle. At least that's how I felt. And so when I had an opportunity, Bobby Bosley came up to the desert and wanted to, you know, he basically wanted a girl to help him panhandle, so he must have been broke. Um, so he came up to the desert, you know, maybe hoping to find Charlie, but he didn't. So he he asked if I wanted to go with. I did. The whole way, I felt like the rocks and the trees were crying out to me to that I had made a mistake. I was I just felt weird. And when we got to the valley, they were the family was at Gresham Street which is, I think it's in Canoga Park, or it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's an apartment building now. But there was a whole different vibe going on, and Charlie was very upset with me that I had disobeyed him and not stayed in the desert. So he said, I'm, you know, you're going back to your parents. Oh, <laughs> that Lord. My That's my punishment. You're going back to your parents. You know, well, and lo and behold, he found them. Well, Di Diane, let's, well, Diane, let's be intellectually honest. Was, at that point, going back to your parents an actual punishment? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, You know, it, it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been, but it's just, I, you know, I, they hadn't really kept in touch. I didn't know where they were. My mom and dad had now separated. My mom had, like, uh, not officially married, but she was now with another man. And the funny thing is that my dad was still, you know, on the scene. It was a totally mutual thing. You know, they, they loved each other, but they couldn't live together, one of those situations. And so my parents, her new... Her new significant other and uh, my dad are like house parents for an alternative boarding school. And so there's all these kids gotcha. now my same age. And she's married to this, or, you know, she's got another husband. And I am steeped in Charlieisms and songs and, you know, my mind is blown on acid. And I just, I got into that, into a house. And I just wanted to climb on the roof and scream out to everybody Charlie's song. And I just, it, I, I could not relate to these kids my same age at all. So I wanted to go back. And so I, I found my way back to where Charlie and company were living. And then he took me to Gary Hinman's. He really did not want me there with them. And that made me feel bad. 
Now, now, psychologically, all of this right now, at this point, is understandable. And how much, because, you know, many of our listeners, and myself included, we have teenage daughters. And, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of the interview, my daughter is 15, you know, and she knows everything. You know, she's <laughs> lived entire lifetimes. I, I, I don't know. You know, I'm stupid today. And if you turned her loose, if you if you gave her the choice, you know, she doesn't know about buying her own shampoo and toilet paper and. <laughs> oh no 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 no! She's I'm stupid till she needs something, but you know, but but how much of this would you actually attribute to teenage rebellion versus the parents just not being connected and attempting to understand their child and willing to just. Wow, I mean, it's just, uh, Diane, I, I, I'm it's, trying to wrap my mind around this, just releasing you to the wild. I know, but the wild back then wasn't as wild as it is now. I mean, the media has contributed to that, you know, in heightening our awareness of pedophiles and, you know, drugs and all of that. But back in the 60s, you know, we were in a movement where everybody loved and trusted each other and it, and I was my parents' oldest, okay, and I take, I take some responsibility for what happened. I was the oldest of three. I walked at nine months. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to iron, wash the dishes, anything my mom did, I do it. You know, mm-hmm. I do it myself. I My nickname was Do Ann. <laughs> and, 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 and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was very independent and very capable, very smart, you know, straight-A student, um, loved school. My mom said I was never happier than when I was going to school. So, and I got a really good education, thankfully, in Minnesota. Uh, the two years that I was in the California school, it was like, you know, it was kind of a repeat. I had already had a lot of the stuff that I was learning in, in middle school. So, my parent, and then you, you throw in some drugs and Timothy Leary and, you know, independence of my you know, my mom and dad were exploring this new, you know, way of life, and I had asked for emancipation, and they'd given it to me. And so, you know, I take some responsibility in that separation. And uh, they'd already, my mom and dad had both already, you know, uh, disconnected earlier, or even earlier, with a couple of incidents. So I was Some of the bases. Yeah, and I'm willing to buy that. You know, you know, 
But I just can't imagine uh, allowing my 15-year-old daughter to, you know, wander free, you know. I know. Uh, I, no, I, yeah, I, but, uh, but then again, I, I sympathize with you. We live in a, a new time. You know, back when I used to ride my bike through the neighborhood after dark, now, you know, my daughter better be in bed by 6 right after the Brady Bunch. <laughs> oh, <You know? laughs> that's, a, that's a little too much. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. no, it is what it is. Uh, when I grew up, I don't know how old you are, I'm 64, but it was like, you know, and my dad didn't even allow us to have a television, but it's like, you know, when you got home from school, look, have some cookies and milk, and then... Okay, be be home before the street lights come on, or you know when they do come on, come on home. You know it'll be time for dinner. Um, you know you could pretty much go anywhere. Now, now, how did you get the name Snake? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were living in Topanga, uh, and I had been fasting. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I had been fasting on like. Uh, lemon honey water and I just imagined I wasn't on I wasn't on acid or anything I just was imagining what it would be like to be a snake slithering through the tall cool grass it was probably a hot day you know and I would just imagine I just was imagining what it might be like and I related that imagining to the girls in the kitchen they told Charlie and from then on, that's how I got the name Snake. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, and I kind of know that, but I just thought I'd put it out there for the for for the listeners so they can kind of find out what the the name was really about. And uh, right, I and mean, it was just a very innocent tale. And the interesting thing is, though, that I was born in the year of the snake, according you know to the Chinese year. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Each, each year, like, I think we're in the year of the rooster right now. Yeah. But I was born in the year of the snake, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidence there. Yeah. And so, so now you guys got to meet uh, Dennis Wilson and part of the Beach Boys. And, and uh, what was that experience like? Dennis was a really fun guy. Cute, you know, uh... He was just, he was fun. He, I got to go to the Colorado River with him and I think two of the other girls in his Rolls Royce. You know, we basically, I just had a bathing suit and a cover-up on. That's it. And, you know, it, it was a, like a family uh, vacation or getaway on the Colorado River. Well, that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, the family wasn't real open and accepting of these uh, kind of ragtag girls that he had. But that's who he was. He liked, he was the rebel. He was definitely the rebel in the family. He liked bringing us kind of, you know, ragtag <laughs> girls to the family party, so to speak. And, you know, he liked, he liked to drive fast cars, fast boats, um, I loved his house. It was Will Rod. It was Will Rogers' um, estate on uh, Sunset, 
beautiful grounds. I mean, that's what I remember about living there is the big redwood trees, and there was a big swing hanging and, you know, from one of the trees, and it was like a big log cabin, beautiful, guest house, pool. It, you know, it was, it was like living in a... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Park. Yeah. We made, and I remember we made, um, back then, uh, gosh, what do they call them? Pal- like palazzo pants, you know, like big camel pants or whatever. <laughs> we, we made, we made those kind of, uh, pants out of his blue satin sheet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was probably, when I remember, that was probably the, the, the worst thing that we did at his house was use his sheets, you know, to make pants yeah. <laughs> for ourselves. Yeah. We ran, he did garbage, we, we made garbage runs in his Rolls Royce, and he was really impressed with the food that we could and prepare. Yeah, in, 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 and in a Rolls Royce. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to go to the back of the grocery store and, you know, look through the dumpsters and load it up and load the trunk up and go home and make them a wonderful meal. 
Yeah. Well, help, Diane. Where were you on grocery day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you think he had a lot to do with how um, Charlie sort of started to change? Because you mentioned about how, um, you know, you guys hung out at the house for so long, but he eventually kind of um, just moved out himself. Well, he, <laughs> yeah, his, he, he, his lease was up. He didn't own that house. He no. was he was just leasing. And so he moved in. I think he moved in with Greg Jacobson or Terry Melch. He moved, and so we kind of had to move. And I think that the relationship was starting to sour. His brothers did not like Charlie. Uh, they they did a recording session with Charlie, and they, I think they really tried to mold him into like a rock star. And Charlie just was not going to be molded. Do not change the lyrics to his songs. Don't change the way he dresses. So, but I think that in the end, Charlie was disappointed later on because Terry Melcher was uh, did like a little recording session with us. Oh yeah. He came and listened to us at the ranch. Charlie playing guitar and you know mm -hmm. the rest of us you know singing along, and we went. We actually went to. A studio and did some recording and Char but at that point Charlie was not looking to be a rock star but he would have liked to have made some money because at that point he really wanted to move to the desert or and move us all to the desert so he was looking for money for supplies for food you know for gas for more dune buggies um, that kind of thing I think he I don't think Charlie's goal was to be a rock star. Right, right. He didn't want he didn't want his music changed. Well, so he, I think he would have. He just wanted to make money on his songs. Now, now that's portrayed in a lot of shows, you know, because you know we all know that he had an obsession with the Beatles, and. That is portrayed in a lot of shows. Now, I myself, in preparation for this interview and others, have watched the series Aquarius. How accurate... <laughs> I've watched, I've watched <laughs> it, too. Yeah. Yes, well, well, how accurate is that? My takeaway on that show, it's not really very accurate, but... They've got the Charlieisms, the way Charlie talks in that show. The things that he says are are almost creepy. They're so Charlie-like. Mm. So where whoever is helping them, whoever cons they're consulting with, or maybe they just pick that up from different, you know, uh, YouTube videos or whatever. But it's amazing how accurate the Charlieisms, what Charlie speaks, what, you know, the, some of the things that he says. But the rest of it is just, uh, I don't know, it's BS. Minutia. <laughs> okay, let, let's go to the Charlieisms. When you first met him, what, you know, because that's what amazed me uh, about the show, is when he first meets people, the way he's able to enrapture them. 
what was it about him when you first met him that really captured you? Well, he has this uncanny ability to uh, read people, to, you know, find out what their needs. I mean, it's just like he can, like, see through you and know what your needs, your deep needs, your heart, you know, your heartfelt desires are, and then he can be that or provide that. That's true. I don't think he has true empathy. And I think he just reads people, but then he uses it for his own benefit. You know, people like him do have the ability to read people, and they can approach you where you're at. But he yeah. found a, a weakness in you and was able to manipulate you through that weakness. For example, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm going to turn you back over to your parents. <laughs> was that was that really such a penalty that you were willing to do whatever Charlie Manson, as we know him today, wanted? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a good question. I, I think he... He knew that I didn't want to be with my parents, and and he so he was treating me. I think even more and more important is that he was treating me like a child, and that I did not want to be treated like a child. Right. I was an adult. I was an emancipated minor. You know? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, he gave you a sense of freedom. I'm going to, you know, even though you're 14, I will treat you like an adult. You can, you know, you can have sex, you can have drugs, you can have anything as long as you follow these guidelines. If you don't do what I ask, then I'm going to send you back to this, you know, parental authority. You're, you're going to go back into the system. And is that right. kind that of what, what, what kept you there? Yeah. I think it's just because he made me feel, you know, loved and adored most of the time. Or uh, when I was on a Dr. Phil show, uh, Dr. Phil said that he used this term that I hadn't heard before, but it's called love bashing. And that's, it's an, a manipulation where they just shower you with love and affection and adoration to get you under their power, and then they mis then they mistreat you later on, but you still remember that, you know, the original good feelings. And I think that's really that's really how Charlie kept me was because whether it was a manipulation or it was just a natural exchange that, you know, I really don't know. But I did, that was my greatest weakness, even facing him in court, was, mm. was I going to succumb to those original feelings of being loved and adored by him? Now, how did it feel while you were in court? Yeah, were you worried about some sort of uh, follow-back? Um, by somebody for 
being in court against him? Not really, because at that point um, I was living with uh, 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 Inyo County Sheriff. <laughs> took me in as his foster child. So, uh, you know, I, I, I had protection. They lived in a very tiny little town, you know, and not, not even that Bishop was the closest town. So, you know, which is the biggest town from Mammoth. So I felt, I felt safe. I did. And then, uh, after, when I turned 18, I went to junior college. And after a semester there, then I went to, or two semesters, I went to, uh, Spokane. And then I went to, then I lived in Europe for two years. And so I was really, I, you know, I, I wasn't worried about that at all. You were pretty close with the other girls in the family. Um, how did it make you feel then? Didn't you? It, I mean, it must have been pretty traumatic because you didn't know about what was going on with the killings. Um, no. So this must have been to find out these people you were really close with were involved in this. Like that must have been the hardest part of it. Yeah. It was. I mean, I was just shocked that these women, you know, that I had loved, you know, emotionally and, you know, in some cases physically, you know, were capable of this mayhem. You know, it was, it was, it was shocking, and I, um, it just totally discombobulated me. You know, for the the rest of the time that I was in the desert and why I hid, you know, from the police the first time, you know, that it was raided, you know, behooves me. But that I just, I was thinking the whole time I was hiding under that bush all day, you know, was like Charlie was going to be so proud of me, you know, so I'm mm -hmm. still seeking, I'm still seeking his approval. Approved, Even though yes. he's, you know, he has, you know, threatened to hang me upside down and skin me alive, and you know, I know that he told Tex, you know, to go, you know, kill these people, and you know, whoever was in the house, and it was just like, oh my gosh! I mean, you know, when I when I think back back on it, it was just craziness, and that's why I'm so happy that I had an opportunity to write this book and really, you know, dig down. My collaborator was awesome in helping me dig down. Plus, you know, my husband of 35 years had died, and so I was in counseling for grief. And it just was really helpful to kind of unburden, uh, you know, unearth, unearth the depths of what had happened to me. Because I, I, it wasn't until I uh, wrote the book or, you know, contributed writing the book that I even felt really like I had been a victim. Right. You know, I, I hadn't really, I yeah. had taken a lot of responsibility for what happened to me, you know, because of my independence and, and all of that. But really, you know, I mean, my daughter is in her 30s now, but... She was a teenager, and I just thought, oh, my, you know, they're not, 
they're not ready no matter how much they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's you know, how we always see it later, right? For me. But at the time. Yeah, and I'm a, you know, I, uh, I've got a bachelor's and a master's degree now in, in like, human development, and, you know, because I was a teacher. And the, the human brain really isn't fully, even fully matured until you're, like, around 21. And I didn't even feel like I became an adult until I was, like, in my 50s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one day I woke up. Well, like, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's something. So, you know, life is funny, but I really uh, appreciated, you know, ha having the opportunity to write this book and, and being brave enough, you know, to... To, to do it because I think it's it's an it's a um, an amazing story that I made it through have the intelligence and I hope that this gives hope for parents who have kids that have gone off the deep end you know it they can make it through you know they can come back you know they can make it because I was you know I was crazy, <laughs> from taking too many drugs, you know, and, yes. and, and not having, you know, the supervision and the, you know, no, no, an and all of that. An important point, too, is like, now you, you never took, you weren't involved in any of these uh, murders and that, and, and he, kept, no. he kept you kind of distant from it. Do you know why he did that, or was there a particular reason? It, it, was it your age, or um, did you have any idea? I don't think I was reliable. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's a good thing. I, I, was, I was too independent, you know. I mean, and I disobeyed him. I didn't, you know, I came back from the desert. You know, he told me to stay there, and I didn't. So... I don't think I was very trustworthy, plus uh, I don't think I could have done that. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you think you but, would have handled it if he did ask you to come along? And I mean, that would have been, wouldn't you, that would have been a terrible amount of pressure to put on you. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could have done it, you know, so would they have killed me because I couldn't, you know, I don't know. Mm. I mean, I, I just... Thank you, Lord, yeah. that I, 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 I never had to experience that. I, I, I really... I also noticed, when, when, you know, what stuck out was when you were talking about when he was playing the White Album a lot, like your groups would get together and instead of loving and singing and doing acid, all of a sudden it was all about the White Album and how it was speaking to him and the Beatles were looking for him and all that stuff, and that one time when you had to go to the bathroom, you had to go pee, and uh, he made you do it in front of everybody? Yep. And I thought, wow. I, I, but you still stuck with it. Like, it didn't it, it didn't make you leave. I, I know, you know, um, yeah, it was embarrassing, and it was humiliating, but... Um, I think he'd embarrassed and humiliated me you know, <laughs> enough be, before that 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 was just, you know, but it, it, it stuck with me. He was using me as an example. He did not like, he didn't like it 
if I diverted my attention, like if, if he had the group's attention, you know, we're all sitting around the circle listening to him, you know, talk about whatever, you know, was on his mind that he thought was important to impart, you know, and I, if I would make a flip comment or, which I'm prone to do, and I still am. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know that that was part of my personality, that he didn't like that. And so there were times when, you know, I felt like he did discipline me, embarrass me, or, you know, smack me or whatever, you know, as a, an example, you know, mm. that I better pay attention. And that's, and when we were in the desert, I was very distracted when I had found out about the murders and the people's participation in it and how gruesome, you know, and just callous they were about it that um, I had a hard time staying focused. And that's when he threatened to, you know, hang me upside down and skin me alive. And I, at that point, I had no reason not to believe that he would. When the authorities, the police, when they got involved, how did you feel about that? Well, I didn't tell them how old I was or my real name for a couple of months. We were all in the jail together. The girls were all in the jail together in the same cell. And, you know, admonishing one another not to say anything. And um, and it wasn't until uh, Susan Atkins, started telling her cellmate in Los Angeles about Charlie and Helter Skelter and, you know, how, you know, her participation in, in those murders and her cellmate then told. And so they hauled us all down from Inyo County to Los Angeles County to uh, testify in front of the grand jury. They were looking for indictments. And it, it, after not taking drugs, having good food, uh, reading and overhearing a couple of matrons, you know, say those poor girls are never going to make it. It wasn't, I had all that as a foundation, and it wasn't until I was standing in front of the bailiff, ready to go in uh, to the grand jury, that they asked me name, you know, age, all that. And I, I told them, I'm Diane Lake, I'm 16, and I want my mommy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so... I'm in a women's jail. I'm 16. They immediately separated me from the rest of the group. But that was the first time yes. that I had felt safe enough to even say my name, to tell to tell them my real name and my real age. Because up until then, I had been arrested in Ventura County um, with a fake ID, and so I was using mm-hmm. that. Even though they took the fake ID. From me, you know, they actually had to call back in the days, you know, before digital media and, you know, communication. They actually had to call and say, oh, did you have, you know, a, a Diane Bluestein age such and such? You know, yeah, they did. And so that's, that's all. They didn't go into the details. Oh, yeah, but it was a fake ID and, you know, maybe the operator didn't have that information. I don't know. But so that's who they thought I was. Now they know I'm underage, and so now they're tactic. Now they're not threatening the gas chamber. I mean, when when they thought I was an adult, you know, I'm getting interrogated for you know a couple of hours and being threatened. We know, you know, 
we know you who you are, honey, and, you know, <laughs> and you're going to the gas chamber, you know, and, you know, all that, those kind of tactics. But then when I told them how old I was and they separated me and then I had all these detectives and policemen and who knows who coming and talked to me, they were a bunch nicer and kinder, brought me candy. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. And, you know, but so they softened me up. You know, and then I quickly became a ward of the court and went to, you know, a mental hospital, and that was a wonderful experience. And I, you know, I, oh. I no longer have stigma about that. You know, before you, who wants to, who wants to tell anybody yes. to be in a mental hospital? But <laughs> it was a good experience. I learned how to play the flute. I learned how to crochet. I had all these moms. I had all this nurturing. I had good food. You know, I had psychiatric and psychological counseling, and they really were able to, you know, deprogram, deprogram. Yeah. So the, and then, then my arresting officer takes me in as a foster child, and so, I, you know, they really saved my life. If you were to face Charlie Manson today, how would that interaction how would that go? And then if I saw Charlie, I mean, Charlie, actually, I can't just go visit him. I have to submit paperwork, and then he has, he would have to approve my coming to visit him. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how the the, the system works now. Well, so I, I can't just go say, oh, I want to go visit him and say hi, you know, or whatever. But if I did have an opportunity to visit him and I had one question, I would ask him, did he really believe he was Jesus Christ at one point? Because I think that was really the pivotal, um, pivotal for him and pivotal for us, that we believed that he was, you know, some kind of Messiah, you know, and he would reiterate it all the time that his name, man's son, you know, was no accident, that he was, you know, God's son, man's mm -hmm. son. And so he, I think that's why, you know, he bought the White Album, you know, the Beatles were talking to him, you know, sending him a message because, you know, they, because he was, you know, the Messiah, the coming, the second coming kind of guy. Now, how do you feel about him now, honestly? He's crazy. He just, yeah, he's he's crazy. Yeah. Just <laughs> simple. <laughs> crazy. It's, it's that yeah, easy. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, can, I can say he's a psychopath or, you know, but he's just, he's just crazy. You know, and he loves it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? do, 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 he likes. He likes being. I, I'm sure that he loves being the icon of evil. I'm sure he, you know it's exciting to him. Do you, how how did people receive you now? Uh, like, are you worried about negative feedback now that you're kind of coming out and talking? I'm, I'm worried about what I call the wackadoodles. I'm worried about the people that are obsessed with this case and that they think they know everything there is about it and 
those are actually the only like negative reviews. I mean, my book has been very well received. Um, the people in my community, my church, the people I've known for you know thirty plus years, they're just in awe. Oh, we thought you were the church lady, or we thought you were the we thought you we thought of you as the choir lady. You know, <laughs> but they are amazed, and most people are just thrilled. You know that I'm telling my story because it shows, it gives so much hope. I mean, there's so many. My story can. Uh, reach a lot of different people on a lot of different levels and to give them hope, you know, to give them hope and uh, just, I, I like being a bright light in this whole Manson murder thing mm -hmm. because it's so dark and most of the people that, most of the people didn't make it out. Right. And live to tell the tale. So, you know, I'm 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 happy that I have this opportunity to bring some light and some hope and some recovery and some redemption and some you know, some of God's grace to the story. The book is called Member of the Family. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Diane, thank you. Thank you so much. To find out more about our show guests or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now.
was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.